Welcome to Judgment Day. <laughs> Again, my name is uh, Donald Rothberg, for those who've come in since I introduced myself right at the beginning. And actually, someone, someone sent me a notice of a, a t-shirt which one can get now, which says, Non-judgment day is near. <laughs> we'll practice in that direction. So I'm pleased to uh, see everyone and to uh, welcome you to this uh, day of practice. And as many of you know, we also have a, uh, a design where we'll make possible uh, continued practice with judgments beyond this day long with uh, what we call follow-up groups. We'll say more about that later because... Um, I'm sorry to disappoint some of you, but generally it do- this doesn't all get worked out in one day. <laughs> some of you it may, and you can teach the next version of this. <laughs> but it's, um, it's longer term work. And um, let me introduce myself, and then I'll say a little bit about the day, and then we'll get right into the exploration of judgments. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll start actually by giving a clear, I hope, uh, a clear definition of what um, judgments and judgmental mind are. So I'm uh, a member of the Teachers' Council here at Spirit Rock and you know, recognize uh, a number of faces that I've, of uh, people who, whom I've uh, met before. And um, I have really uh, broad interests in terms of... Uh, spiritual practice and have been practicing mindfulness and loving-kindness practice for uh, actually uh, well over 30 years, 30, 35 years. And uh, in this particular tradition, I've also had uh, training in um, Zen and especially Tibetan traditions, particularly uh, Mahamudra and Dzogchen, and have also had a a lot of interest in other spiritual traditions and once lived in a Jewish neo-Hasidic commune. <laughs> also uh, have spent a lot of time in Catholic monasteries and also very drawn to indigenous traditions. For a long time I used to help with the meeting of uh, insight meditation and sweat lodge uh, that with uh, Elder Fred Wapapaw, which some of you probably did that with us when we did that for a number of years. And, and all of those traditions have been important. And I, I often think of my own background in three areas. First, I have a, a deep interest in the fundamental exploration of our nature of, uh, and meditation and what we sometimes call the Dharma is one fundamental way to investigate who we are and really to open up to our deeper wisdom and love. That's what this is all about, ultimately. And then bringing that into uh, action, bringing it into our lives and the world. And I've also um, had a strong interest in seeing ways to connect this practice with living in this culture, with work and family and communities, and, you know, 
injustice and need for connecting the different parts of our lives. And um, have uh, had a training in body-based psychotherapy as well and make, make uh, bodily appro- body-based approaches have had a big influence. We'll bring that in some later in the day here. And then lastly, I've had a long-term interest in connecting inner work with social service and social change. And I've been involved with a number of training programs for people to connect that for about the last uh, 20 years, um, including programs with Buddhist Peace Fellowship, where we did about 30 six-month trainings for people to do that, and also uh, a two-year program we did at Spirit Rock called The Path of Engagement. Had about 50 people for two years, and I did a, summarized a lot of that work with a book that came out a few years ago called The Engaged Spiritual Life, which I left on the table, which has material relevant to judgments as well. Because, uh, you know, judgments come up everywhere, and they're very, actually very big issues in the area of social service, social change, you know, among activists and so forth. Yeah. Um, judgments appear everywhere. <laughs> and so that's some of my background. And I also want to introduce, I have uh, uh, three people who've been uh, longtime uh, students of mine working with me on the judgment work who I want to introduce. Um, and they'll be helping today during the walking periods and possibly a little bit during lunch. Uh, they, as well as I, will be available to uh, respond to any questions that you might have about um, any content during the day as well as personal issues. You know, and so I want to introduce first uh, Eve Decker. Maybe you can stand up, Eve. How many of you know Eve? So Eve is a, a graduate of the Community Dharma Leaders Program and, and does a fair amount of teaching in different ways. She's also um, a professional musician and will be um, performing, has written a number of songs related to judgments and uh, coming out of her own hard work. And we'll, uh, we'll sing, uh, I think, this afternoon, early this afternoon. We'll, we'll, and... Um, and does uh, groups and classes as well on the connection of uh, music with our practice and the, the centrality of music. And, and, and has been working with me with judgments for, for a number of years. Also, Robin Gale, if you can stand up, maybe Robin. Robin is a, uh, has also worked with me for, I think, at least four or five years, and is a... Um, Professor of Counseling Psychology at Dominican <coughs> University and, uh, and a psychotherapist, as I mentioned, and also a uh, teacher in the Tibetan tradition with, uh, connected with uh, Lama Sultra Malioni and Tara Mandala in Colorado. So. And then uh, Deb Thompson has also uh, worked with me for four or five years, something in that order. In, in a variety of ways, all, all with, including with the judgment work. And her um, uh, special interest, her main interest, is in bringing this work into uh, several settings, including work settings, professional work settings, and also uh, working with children, working with students particularly. 
and they'll be, uh, they'll be again available during the walking periods and some during the lunch period uh, to, we'll probably situate ourselves, maybe one person here, one person in the back to my, a little bit to my left, one person in the back, a little bit to my right, and we'll just uh, let you know. Uh, you know. We encourage walking meditation, so, but, but if you do have questions, you can, you can talk to any of us, because uh, we, have, we have a large number here today. So we want to, we want to make, that, uh, make that attention and feedback uh, available. So the, um, the day is uh, organized into four segments, uh, two before lunch. Lunch will be roughly about 12.30 or so. Uh, there'll be four segments, um, each with a little bit different content. And the two morning segments will be separated by a walking period of about half an hour. And then the two afternoon segments will be similarly separated by about a 20-30 minute walking period. A chance to be on the land and actually do some of the practices as well as we're walking. The first segment will be, that's the one we're in right now, and that will be more introductory. and giving an overview of the nature of judgments. The second segment will be particularly focused on the tool of mindfulness and really exploring the nature of judgments, the judgmental mind. The third segment will bring in some further tools, uh, particularly um, bringing in loving kindness and heart practices generally. You know, play a big role. You know, generally the approach here in terms of tools will be using, on the one hand, tools in which we investigate judgments, see what they are, using mindfulness, inquiry, going more deeply into judgments. And the second whole set of tools will be using heart practices to really ground ourselves more in compassion and the kind heart. Because some of what we find when we go into judgments is painful. And we really need that grounding in, in the kind heart. It has to be pretty strong to, to work with judgments over the long haul. So that'll be an emphasis. In the third segment, I'll also bring in some further inquiry practices for going more deeply into judgments. And then in the fourth segment, we'll go a little, still a little further uh, with um, inquiry into some of, some of what we find when we go most deeply into chronic judgments. And we'll also then, towards the end of the day, have a time of integration and how do we bring this judgments work out, not just as an inner practice, but in our interactions, in our speech, in the world. You know, how, do we, how do we bring that out into daily life, in other words? So those are the four segments. So let's see if I have any other logistical questions. If you, how many of you are here for CEU credits? So you should have signed up in the back with that. And if anyone hasn't signed up at this time, you should go right away to um, Sean Fargo, who is in the uh, staff office just on the, uh, once you get in the foyer. If you haven't taken care of that, do that right now. Okay, please. Is that teaching plan printed out somewhere? Excuse me? Is your teaching plan printed out? Uh, I have the, the outline for the day is printed out and is on the back door. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so, so yeah, the schedule is, uh, I think, posted a few different places. So that is there. If I don't stick completely to it, you can see if a judgment arises. (laughs) Okay. Okay.
Not you particularly, but. <laughs> okay. uh, just a few other things to sort of establish ourselves. We'll be having times of um, large group discussion. We may have some dyads or some small groups discussions. Just a reminder that I think you know that the whole area of working with judgments and judgmental mind can be difficult at times, painful, and we want to uh, ask that anything that is said by another participant uh, be held in confidentiality. Okay? What that means is that uh, if someone tells a very moving story that you don't, over dinner tonight, necessarily repeat it without the permission of that person. Okay? Anything that I say is fair game for discussion, <laughs> you know, and so forth. But we want, to, we want to have the confidentiality of the participants really be, be held. And um, along with that, want to really invite, in terms of hearing really from all of us, including myself, just uh, having the attitude as much as you can of empathy and care. This is a tender area at times. And just to remind us, uh, ourselves, of that in intention. And it really is, in general, an expression of staying with the ethical precepts, which are basically about non-harming, not harming others and caring for others, but also involve uh, skillful speech. Very, very helpful for, for doing this work. So, partly because we have a lot of people, and I want to generally bring out uh, quite a bit of uh, content. Um, at times, even though we may sometimes have a lot of energy in group discussion for a particular theme, at times I may have to just say, I think we want to move on now, just so you know that I'll do that sometimes uh, because um, I want to go through those four different areas by the end of the day. So just, just so you know that. Okay? So... Um, if you have a cell phone, if you could turn it completely off, it actually, the cell phones that are on actually interfere with the recordings. They can interfere with the recordings. So if you can uh, turn them off for when we do retreats up the hill, we have, we have special staff caretakers for people's cell phones. Okay. And you might like to, you know, when we have lunch, I'll talk about that in more detail when we get there. Some of you may want to, yeah, some of you may, may want to actually take uh, your lunch in silence and really think of the day as a day in silence, meaning that the walking meditation and so forth are in silence. I think I'd like the walking meditations generally to be in silence unless something is necessary in terms of something that you just need to do to talk with someone or some arrangement. And then the lunch is going to be optional optionally in silence, because there can be a lot of value in connecting with others and talking about this. So I'm going to, the lunch will be optionally in silence. Some of you may want to have it be in silence or partly in silence to, to, because that can help sometimes to go a little more deeply. Okay? So, let me begin by defining judgment, as I'm going to be using it during the day. Because it's, um, 
very important to have some clarity about what we're exploring, what we're talking about. Uh, especially because in the English language, the word judgment is used in a variety of ways. I'll be using the word judgment here today and in successive uh, weeks when we are in, for those of you continuing with groups. We'll be using judgment in the sense of judgmental. And the particular um, emphasis of judgmental suggests that there's some kind of reactivity. There's some kind of um, edge or some, something that leads us to be, feel emotionally charged or to um, have a, a judgmental attitude. So some examples of this you know, might be, there might be uh, small kinds of judgments or large kinds of judgments, ones that are uh, passed quickly and ones that, that are very chronic. So. One example of judgment might be, um, may have occurred even on our trips here to Spirit Rock. You're at a traffic light, the light is green, the person in front of you is talking on a cell phone, and you go, <laughs> perhaps with actual content, but there's some kind of judgment there. There's some kind of reaction, right? So a lot of the judgments are, especially involve some kind of negative evaluation. A lot of them are very automatic. So we might judge that driver. You know, again, it might actually not even have any words. It might just be, or it might be, you know, what's that person doing, whatever. And can you feel that there's some charge or some edge? What what'll be interesting is we'll see that the content when one is judgmental, can actually be the same as when one is not judgmental. So I actually might say very calmly, oh, that person is talking on the cell phone and not going, it's not starting his or her car right away, and be very calm and non-judgmental. That doesn't happen so often with this example, but, but it could, right? It could happen. Maybe you're, you know, I felt, you know, for example, I was just uh, on retreat personally for a while. And when I was at a red light, I said, oh, another chance just to attend to being present. How wonderful. And you might say, oh, that person is not starting. Oh, a few more seconds just to be mindful. <laughs> Great. <laughs> might say that. Might go in that direction. Um, or, you know, one, another driving example that I had, I remember, um, you know, when sometimes I, I live in the East Bay and sometimes the, uh, the traffic gets backed up uh, between the bridge and 101. I remember it was backed up and I noticed um, people starting to drive down the uh, breakdown, drive in the breakdown lane. And I, I noticed myself being judgmental and said, this country is just getting more and more selfish, <laughs> you know. And that was that was an example of judgmental mind, right? Okay, or you know maybe more um, more deeply, I may have let's say a close relationship end, and I'm uh, down on myself, and I judge myself harshly for the ending of the relationship, and I'm in a cloud of self-judgment 
for three months. Right? We know that one, right? And, and it's, it's a kind of a fog, and I'm judging myself, and it even can go into a kind of depression. Right? That's an example. I may judge uh, political figures. You know, I may judge certain political figures very harshly, you know, whatever, whatever it might be, from the left, from the right, from the center. You know, it's a favorite pastime, and politicians judge each other. I actually once worked in the U.S. Congress when I was a college student, and a lot of uh, politicians spend a large amount of their time judging each other harshly. You know? um, and one could judge them for doing that. <laughs> you know? So, again, it could be any content. It could be, you know, the president wasn't born in the United States, you know, or something like that. Or it could be, you know, um, our last president was a torture president. <laughs> You know. Now, um, what's interesting from these examples is that I think you can start to see that what I'm calling judgments um, can be distinguished from what we might call a discernment, or what in English is sometimes called judgment, where there's no charge or edge. And again, it, it, it's actually sometimes independent. The con- sometimes the content doesn't tell you whether it's going to be judgmental. We can be judgmental or non-judgmental about the same content. But the but there are a whole, a whole, whole class of um, expressions or statements that in English we sometimes call judgments that don't have that charge or edge. So I might say the engineers judged that the bridge could withstand this level of winds, right? And we sometimes use judgment in that sense. The engineers made a judgment, or we talk about artistic judgment that might not be reactive. Or we say, you know, uh, I looked outside this morning and I judged that it was going to be, you know, uh, a relatively clear day, it wasn't going to rain. We use judgment sometimes in that sense as well. And usually those examples don't have reactivity or charge, right? And I'm talk- so I'm, what I'm talking about, what we're focusing on here, are um, attitudes, statements, expressions, where there's an edge for a charge, where in using Buddhist language, there's reactivity. Now, in, in Buddhist psychology, we talk about two main forms of reactivity, and the one we're especially looking at here is the kind where we have aversion and we push something away. And here we're doing it, we're, they're, they're often, it often can happen automatically. A lot of examples of the judgmental mind are quite automatic. We just right away react. You know? So for example, one of the kinds of judgments that, I've, uh, that I found in myself at a really important time when I was uh, starting to study judgments in more depth, I met with a person who was like the um, director of the organization I was part of, and I met with him every two weeks. And um, I found myself often becoming judgmental of him. I'd have these meetings, and in particular, I noticed myself um, judging him for not listening to me. And so I would have these meetings, and typically I would say something. A little while later, he would 
in my mind, without having adequately addressed what I said, change the subject and talk about what he wanted to talk about. And I would notice myself um, very quickly and somewhat automatically withdrawing emotionally from the whole conversation to a place of distanced moral superiority, which I felt at the time was extremely comforting. How many of you have noticed a similar pattern in yourself? (laughs) And so, a lot of the judgments like that are quite automatic, you know. So I started to get interested because it wasn't like I I said, you know, I said, I thought about it or reflected. I just noticed myself suddenly becoming judgmental, and a lot of judgments are like that. And so the the key here is that is the reactive quality. Typically, the main ones we're going to be focusing on is where there's aversion and a kind of sometimes automatic pushing away, you know, the pushing, you know, uh, automatic reactive judgment of the driver with the cell phone or the driver going down the breakdown lane. By the way, that story, when I actually, when the, dri- the traffic started up again, I later noticed that one of the people that came by was helping someone in the breakdown lane who had broken down. So, <laughs> interesting. Um, but, but there's that reactivity. The other form of reactivity identified in Buddhist psychology is when we reactively grab hold of something. And I do believe that judgments can be reactive in that way as well. Just as we can be very hard on ourselves, we can also be um, inflated. We can think of, we can, in a way, put ourselves or put someone else on a so-called pedestal. And I can have inflated ideas about how great I am. This is very common among meditators. Many meditators, many meditators judge themselves harshly, but many meditators judge themselves as really being cool. And sometimes they want to show that by wearing spiritual clothes or just having a spiritual demeanor. No, no one here, I'm sure, has ever manifested that, but other people do, (laughs) sometimes. So um, that would be an example of what we might call a positive judgment. We're going to be mostly focusing on what I'm calling negative judgments, because those are most obviously connected with suffering. You know, we have the, the judgments we're talking about where we judge another can be the basis for the breakdown in relationships. They can be the basis, as I mentioned, for depression, for being really hard on oneself, for really being in a very difficult place. They can be the basis for um, interpersonal difficulties at work. They can be the basis of um, feuds in communities. Um, They can be the basis in extreme examples of conflict, violence, and war. And judgmental mind is found a lot, if you look carefully, in conflicts. You know, you'll find that, in, and uh, it's like actually quite an important topic, if, at really at whatever um, level we look at. And so there can be these positive judgments. We may come back to them at times during the day, but the main focus is on the negative ones where we, where we push away. Those are the ones we more obviously uh, notice, a little bit easier, a little bit easier to see. So do you have a sense of that, uh, of how I'm defining judgments? What, what's important about the definition is that it suggests that 
uh, what I'm calling judgments now, in the sense of reactive and judgmental, are complex. They're made up, we might say, of some kind of noticing or observation or discernment linked with reactivity. In other words, I notice that the driver is using the cell phone. You know, I notice that the uh, boss uh, changed the subject with me. You know, I notice certain things. And very key aspect of the approach here is that the problem isn't so much in the noticing, it's in the reactivity. The reactivity is what makes judgments poison. And that's a very important point because the, it, it suggests how we're going to transform judgments. That is, we're going to use different practices and this kind of understanding to separate the discernment from the reactivity, work through the reactivity, and use the discernment for the purposes of compassionate action. In other words, judgments aren't the enemy. Very key point, and you'll actually hear, and if you read material on this, I've read quite a lot and heard people, a lot of people will say, judgments, they're bad, they cause a lot of suffering, get rid of them. And what's that doing? Yeah, it's actually can often be judging the judgment or judging the judger and as actually caught in the same loop. Yeah. That, that doesn't mean that sometimes we want to, you know, really suspend the judgmental mind in a given situation. That can be wise. You know, if we're tormenting ourselves with self-judgment, it can often be wise just to cut it, you know, and get rid of them temporarily. But in the long run, uh, many judgments, maybe not all of them, but many judgments carry some kind of insight or some kind of discernment, which is actually valuable. And when we throw out the judgment, we throw out a certain level of intelligence. You know? And again, we'll, we'll, for some judgments, it's that intelligence is sometimes harder to see. But some of the examples I gave are clear. You know, There is intelligence in seeing the driver with the cell phone. There's intelligence in noticing the behavior of the boss. You know, if I go to a party and someone is acting like a judgmental a person is really obnoxious, right? Well, that's actually can be important information. And if I wasn't reactive, I might actually respond compassionately to that person. And that could be very important. And so all of what we'll do today is to offer tools that help us to separate out the reactivity from the discernment and make use of the discernment where we can and to really see what's there. Again, for some judgments that takes, you know, that's more obvious in some judgments than others. A lot of the examples, you know, a lot of political examples where we're judgmental, there often can be a lot of insight, you know. Sometimes pure delusion, <laughs> but oftentimes a certain amount of insight. The tools that we'll use here are, and that we'll explore during the course of the day, and that we'll explore in more depth for those who choose to continue uh, beyond today, are a combination of some of our foundational meditative tools along with some 
perspectives that have been influenced um, by Western psychology. So, for example, this, this morning we'll particularly focus on, in the next segment, on mindfulness. <coughs> mindfulness is a key tool. And mindfulness will be, mindfulness and loving kindness will be the foundational tools that we'll use. Mindfulness helps us to see when the judgment is present. So it helps us to track the judgments, which is a necessary starting point. We can't do much without mindfulness, without really noticing that the judgment is present. And as I mentioned earlier, a whole set of tools are those of what I I like to call heart practices. Loving kindness, compassion, forgiveness, and joy. And these will be very, very valuable for holding everything with more kindness. Because as we go into looking more at judgments, it's uh, sometimes painful. Especially when we attune to how many judgments there are, once we start being mindful of judgments, you'll notice that there are a lot more than you thought there were. You'll notice judgments right and left. And it can be a little bit much sometimes. You know? And particularly be on the lookout if you have a judgment about how many judgments you're noticing. <laughs> this is, you know, uh, so to speak, at another level. There are a lot of judgments happening. Then we make a comment about how many judgments there are. It's, we would say that's at a meta level or another level above. And often we don't count that as a judgment, and that can actually be paralyzing. Oh, I'm, I have so many judgments. I'm just a judge, hopeless, judgmental person. I came to the day long too late. <laughs> but be careful about that, because I call these judgments about how many judgments there are stealth judgments. They kind of, we don't notice them, they go under the radar. Okay, so be on the lookout for that. If you stay with this and work with judgments, you will notice a lot more. It will sometimes be uncomfortable. But know that that's part of what happens with the the learning process. Okay? Maybe just a few more things to say, and then I'll see if there are any questions, and we'll go, go into walking period. Following some of the, the inquiries that I did myself that started really uh, in more depth with, the, with those encounters with the person, with the person who was the director, uh, I did, a, I did a, a number of years of really intensive work with judgments. And unexpectedly, it's become a major part of my teaching. It's been interesting. I didn't intend to do that. It came naturally out about, I think 2002, I offered my first day long here at Spirit Rock, basically summarizing some of what I had learned in my own experience. And um, I was surprised by the level of interest. And a lot of people were there. And at the end, I was, thought it had gone well. I was about to go home. And people said, kind of gathered around and said, we want to continue. I said, okay, well, we'll do, we'll do a follow-up evening. And people came. I said, okay, that was good. Bye. <laughs> and they said, we want to continue. <laughs> and I basically have done one or more monthly groups 
for the last 12 years. But don't, don't worry, people haven't stayed in them for 12 years. <laughs> you know, some people, for, you know, some people for several years uh, for different reasons, and, and probably the average length has been more like three to six months for people. Um, yes? Yeah. Great, great. So uh, let me let me summarize that. Um, the The request was, and that this is actually part of my intention, uh, is to consider judgments in a broad way. It's, it includes <coughs> self judgments, and there are different, all sorts of different uh, approaches to work with that. And there's also um, the case when we're judging others. Uh, and what I found is that the dynamics are fairly similar. And then there's also the situation in which we are, in, or we, we are feeling judged or maybe we're in a interpersonal <clears throat> situation or in a community where there's a lot of judgment, maybe a third kind of area. And we'll, I'll be especially focusing on the first two. When we do groups, or I also have done, I also teach retreats on this, and we go more, over the course of time, we go more into how do we work with judgments in inter- interactive settings. We won't do so much of that, a little bit of that today. It'll be primarily, the focus will be inner practice. But I'll, I'll try to um, keep those reference points in mind. That was really your request, right? mm-hmm. to, to keep those in mind. And, and you can as well. Uh, but what, I, what um, I and we have found is that the dynamics are similar. The judgmental mind is similar, but... There, we need further special tools when we have judgments coming at us. That's different. It's a little bit different. You know, what will tend to happen often is that being judged by another will trigger our judgments of self. And it gets complex. You know, and one, you know, one fundamental dysfunctional pattern that I've seen in a number of relationships, including close relationships, is when one person judges another, this is like in a couple, one person judges another, the other person judges the other for judging, you know, uh, himself or herself, and then the other person judges the first, the other person for judging as well, and then everything breaks down for, you know, a few hours or a few months, right? And that's a very common pattern. How many can relate to that? You know, I think you know that that this this is very deep, and again, we'll look sometimes at um, we'll look to some extent at judgments from others. But there's uh, it, all of this is powerful because it touches a number of deep aspects, and I've been surprised in bringing forth this work and working with people over these years at how powerful the work is, and it both can open up to quite a bit of pain. But it also can open up to uh, quite a bit of transformation. That a lot of our more chronic judgments actually are related to deep structures of self. So for example, I'll give another example or two. One example is 
when I was, uh, this, I'm, this, I'm giving this as hypothetical example, let's suppose I'm three or four and I'm expressing anger to some extent in my experience. My parents are uncomfortable with that and they squash my anger. As a three or four year old, in a sense I have a choice to be fearlessly authentic or to actually get love and food. (laughs) And it's not really a choice for most kids and most kids squash their anger. And then let's suppose that child at a certain point, um, maybe a few years later, starts getting angry. The very natural uh, occurrence for that child to judge himself or herself for getting angry will have internalized the parent's message, judge himself or herself for being angry, and also judge others for getting angry, right? Those people, they're just bad or they can't control themselves or whatever. And then um, 30 years later, comes to a day long on judgments, and actually at that point may not have a clue that judgments are connected with anger, right? And then over the course of investigations, there's something about anger that's here with my judgments, right? And the same thing could occur in psychological work, right? We come, but might do this work and say, oh, there's something about anger, and over time might actually go into and see, oh, there's this deep belief I have inculcated at age three or four that anger is bad. And I have that, and it's a very fundamental way that I um, define myself, right? And it's based on conditioning. Yeah, you know, let me, let me make another point and then, then I'll open things up just for a little bit. Is that okay? So you see how, uh, and then the person starts to do the work and has the potential of going way back to, you know, equivalent of age three or four and transforming a deep structure of self, right? Very powerful. You know, another way that um, uh, judgments occur is that they are transmitted socially. I think we know this, but there is a huge amount of social conditioning in which we receive and often then pass on conditioning about what's good or bad. There are certain, you know, historically certain mainstream views and one might internalize judgments as a, let's say, as a woman, as a man, as a child, as someone who's 80 years old, right? There are mainstream views in which, in which you know, historically, one, uh, there, there are relations of inferiority and superiority around a lot of these in the mainstream. And those are deeply conditioned in us, and that will be another aspect of, of judgments. And a very powerful example was, some of you may know, there was a famous experiment done in the 1940s and 50s by um, psychologists Mamie and Kenneth Clark with uh, young African-American girls in Harlem. And the studies were a major basis for the 1954 Supreme Court desegregation decision. You know, saying that segregated schools were neither, are, they are not, do not give equal education, it's basically unjust. And a major part of the study was this doll study in which uh, dolls uh, basically 
black and white dolls were given to children aged, I think, four to ten. Maybe it was six to ten. And they were asked, which is the good doll and which is like you? And um, the majority of the African-American girls at that age said that the good doll is the white doll. And then later they were asked, which doll is like you? And half of them said the black doll is like me, and half of them couldn't answer the question, right? So this is sort of a heart-rending example of internalization of social judgments. It's very strong, and we all are very much affected by this in all sorts of ways. And so you can see that when you start looking at judgments, it actually is not just a way of dealing with personal change, but it gets into the area of social change. You know? And so it actually, I've been surprised at how powerful an area this is. You know? And there, there are a lot of tools. We're not going to so much go into the tools for working with the social judgments today, but there are a lot of different ways that people work with that, sometimes in groups. I've had African-American friends who've had multi-year groups on working with what's called internalized oppression. Women's groups did something rather similar. You know, we can, there are ways we can work with this. Men's groups do something very similar. You know, and there are ways of working with these kind of internalized judgments. So you see the horizon is big here you know, for what we're doing. And it can be a very powerful entryway to very significant personal and I think community and social transformation. Surprisingly so. I've, I've taken to thinking about it as something like, this is to um, echo what Freud said. Some of you have studied Freud. No, he said that dreams are the royal road to the unconscious. And I sometimes think dr- uh, judgments are a kind of royal road of transformation. You, take, you follow them and they take you deeply in a way that's transformative in ways I had no idea of before I went into this. You know? it's, really, it's really quite something. And the depth suggests the fact that it takes time. Right? takes time and takes support. So that's the, that's the approach that, I'll be, that we'll be using um, today and in, in any further work. So we have a little bit of time if there are any questions. And I think you had a question about, about anything that was said. We'll just take a, in the back here. Yeah. Uh, wait, can you wait for the mic, please? It wasn't so much a question, it was just a a comment as to why I'm here. I've been realizing that I base my opinion of other people's behaviors as being right or wrong, good or bad, appropriate or inappropriate, based upon what I was taught as a child. I was taught that you do not steal from others. I recently had a trash-to-treasure sale. People stole from me. Yeah. A woman promised she would pay me for a purse. She walked away laughing. She never paid me. Yeah. And I don't want to carry these people around with me. Yeah. And that's why I'm here. Yeah. How many can relate to that? Yeah, look around. Okay. That's, thank you so much. And yeah, and again, it's, it's very important to see that the problem is the reactivity, especially, is how we, because obviously uh, ethical value of not stealing has a lot to say for it. You know, it's complex, maybe, and go way, way into it, but it's simple in other ways. 
and yet being reactive and judgmental about it is another matter. And again, the long-term direction is to preserve the discernment, work through the reactivity, and learn better how to respond compassionately. But that only can happen when one's worked through it to some extent. So that's the, that's the direction here. Another, any comment anyone else would like to share while you're here? Yeah, please, right there. You just hit it. Um, I realize that be, below the judgments is a lot of anger. Yeah. I live in anger, and and I am extremely judgmental. Yeah. Um, to dovetail on what just was said, I was taught that you are quiet in a library, mm-hmm. and it's not Starbucks. Yeah, well, some things are just obviously true. Sorry. That was a joke, by the way. Okay. Uh, and again, uh, same, really, uh, same thing as said earlier. And remind me of your name? Bill. That Bill. That, uh, again, it's, it's to see where there's discernment there. And, and it's tricky. How do we work with our discernment, with our ethical values, with what's important to us, without being judgmental all the time? That's where we're going. Right? It's not easy. Yeah. Um, thanks. Maybe, uh, maybe one or two more? Please, yeah. Hi. Maybe this is kind of what you're saying already, but I notice that sometimes when I'm just making an observation, I trick my own brain into it, making it into a judgment. Like, it yeah. becomes moral. Yeah. So, like, is there a way to know when you're doing that? Yeah. Yeah, great question. Well, a question about um, how to know when one's really being judgmental, because sometimes observations... Um, just seem to be there, and some, all of a sudden I feel judgmental, right? And uh, what we'll be doing in the next segment is looking into that in more depth. Uh, the short answer right now would be that we actually have to study our experience and study how we become reactive. One way to, one way, you know, some signs of it when we bring mindfulness to judgment, some signs that we're reactive, one sign is repetition. When we're non-reactive, we don't necessarily repeat the same things to ourselves every 15 seconds. <laughs> so, so repetition is a sign. If you're sitting there in meditation and just repeating, why did that person, why did that person? Another thing is feeling the edge in one's language. Also can be feeling how the body is. There's typically will be some tension in the body. And... So really noticing in that way. But you're, you're right. What's really in, what seems to happen with the judgmental mind is that there's something like the internal logic is something like, oh, I have truth on my side. Therefore, anything goes. Or therefore, I can just be judgmental. And it's fine, you know. It's, it's a kind of self-righteousness, right? I have, tr- you know, truth appears. And there's something, where before, if we haven't looked into this, it's like, some truth appears, you know. Um, they are being noisy in the library, you know. They are stealing, whatever. They're, they're, that person is using a cell phone at the light. And it's just, when we don't have mindfulness, it's almost as if that's obviously true, and therefore all my judgments are completely justified. I'm the self-righteous one, and I will take my stand. Something like that, right? Do you notice that? 
it's interesting, really. It's like it's almost like internally we feel I have some truth, therefore anything goes, or maybe not anything, but a lot goes, right? Yeah, maybe one more. Kind of piggybacking on that, I've been told in the inner work I've done that I have to get rid of the reactivity, um, that it harms me and it harms others. So what I find is that there's not time to go into the depth. There def- there never seems to be the time, and I'm wondering if you can comment on that, to go into like the rightness or the sadness, maybe not so much about the the library example, I'm trying to think of, uh, there's millions of examples in my life, but where I'll feel really strongly. Mm-hmm. And I'll feel like, before I want to look at, I'm not going to behave this way because it hurts me or it hurts someone else, I want to give more air time to how I'm feeling, and there never really seems to be the time. In therapy, a little bit in journaling, but ever to really, to ever go back to figure out where the three-year-old might have been, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, good. So yeah, so a question really about, um, um, really, we might say, exploring more deeply the, what I was calling the intelligence of the judgment, or something we might even call it the gifts of the judgment. How to explore that more deeply, and not just uh, stop acting reactively. Right? So that's very important. It is helpful, um, and we'll, again, we'll talk with this more at the end of the day, it is helpful if one's really reactive. It's almost never going to be a, a good idea to express it if one's very reactive. Unless you say, I'm feeling really reactive, that which is different from actually being reactive. So typically it is good to not act, but I would say just make time. You can make time, and a lot of the practices we do, you know, that you can have reflection, you could say, what's really the value beneath the surface? And some of the practices we'll do in the last segment actually have their intention of going more deeply. So they're, 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 I think one simply has to make the time to, to, you know, could be time of reflection, could be other things. Okay, thanks. We'll come back to that. Okay. Um, I want to um, go to our walking period. And how many people... So you can, uh, David, you can stop. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.